We are going to be continuing on in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 again. We are going through Romans chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And before we begin, rather than read right now, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, uh, to pray I will actually be beginning in the book of Mark. In the book of Mark, I will be beginning. But you can just stay there in Romans. You don't have to go to, uh, to Mark with me. But let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just want to plead for forgiveness, Lord. We are sorry, Lord. We're sorry that this is what it takes, Lord, for us to understand that with all our wealth, with all our intelligence, with all our education, with all what we call strength, with all the, the as we might put it, Lord, the, the high walls around our city as they were in the um, Old Testament and all our fortifications and, and our stockpiles of resources. We're sorry, Lord, that it takes this for us to truly understand that we are as nothing before you, Lord. We are not only weak, we are helpless before you, Lord. At the same time, we thank you. Because your word says this is the best possible place that we can be in. A place of helplessness. The psalmist says four times in four different psalms, he approaches you by saying, Lord, I'm poor and needy. Lord, we are poor and needy. And we believe your word where it says, sacrifice and offerings you do not desire. A broken and contrite heart you will not despise. Your word says in the book of Micah, that you delight in giving mercy and a broken and contrite heart. And Lord, I, I think I speak for everyone watching. I pray that I do. Lord, we come to you in brokenness, helpless, confused, asking for mercy, Believing that you, Lord, delight in giving it to us when we come to you in this way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I am going to begin in the book of Mark, in chapter. 14, and this is right after Jesus' arrest, 
He had just recently come into Jerusalem. He was went to the Garden of Gethsemane, was betrayed by Judas Iscariot, and Judas led a troop of temple officers and soldiers. Many believe there was a, also Roman soldiers accompanying them as well. And it says in verse 53 of Mark chapter 14, it says, they led Jesus away to the high priest. And with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. Now the chief priests and all the councils sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. But Jesus kept silent. He answered nothing. And the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of a witness? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned Jesus to be deserving of death. And then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and say to him, prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Immediately, chapter 15, verse 1 says, In the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and they led him away and they delivered him to Pilate the Roman governor and the Roman governor asked Jesus are you the king of the Jews and he answered and said to him it is as you say now at the feast of Passover the Roman governor was Re, uh, accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them whomever they requested and there was one named Barabbas who was chained with his fellow rebels they had committed murder in the rebellion and then the multitude cried out and began to ask the Roman governor to do as he always had done but Pilate the Roman governor answered and said do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews. For the Roman governor knew that the high priest had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that they should rather release Barabbas to them. And Pilate answered and said to them, What then do you want me to do with him who you call the king of the Jews? And they called out, Crucify him. And then Pilate said to them, Well, why? What evil has he done? 
but they cried out all the more, Crucify him. Then Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called the Praetorium. They called together the whole garrison of Roman soldiers, and they clothed him with purple. They twisted a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And then they struck him on the head with a reed, and they spat on him, bowing the knee. They worshipped him. When they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off purple robe off and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. They brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of the skull. Verse 25, now it was the third hour and they crucified him. Verse 27, with him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroyed the temple and built it up in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who crucified, who were crucified with him, reviled him. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then verse 37, it says, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Verse 39, so when the Roman centurion who stood opposite Jesus saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. I begin with this reading because in this season almost every conceivable distraction in the world is going to try to take your eyes off that scene and that is one thing you must not do. That is one thing, and I will say the only thing that you must not do. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, looking unto that scene 
looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That faith, that faith the Bible says that without it, it is impossible to please God. I beg you, Calvary Chapel, in this season, I don't know how long it's going to last. Don't take your eyes off that scene. That scene of indescribable love. Words can't put it into a proper meaning, and that's why we have the picture the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, Almighty God, Isaiah calls him, bleeding on the cross, purchasing, Acts chapter 20 says, you, the church, purchasing the church for his pleasure, purchasing you for his pleasure. That scene. It says in Isaiah 53, verse 5, but Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. That's what happened on the cross. He was bruised for your iniquities. The punishment that was for your peace was upon him. And by his stripes, those stripes, those that that scourge, that, that those scars from whether they weren't scars, they were open wounds from the whip of the Roman governor. It says by those stripes on his back, you're healed. You're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every single one of us to our own way. Isaiah says of that picture in the book of Mark. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It says in verse 9 of Isaiah 53, they made Jesus' grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was deceit on his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to put him to grief. And when the Lord made his soul an offering for sin, verse 10 of Isaiah 53, He shall see his seed, his descendants. You're his descendants. You've been grafted in. You're his descendants, the descendants of Jesus. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in Jesus' hand. And the Lord shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Many translations say the Lord shall see the labor of his soul and he shall see light referring to the resurrection three days later the last thing you want to do during this time is take your eyes off that picture of the crucifixion as well as the Isaiah 53 resurrection and everything I say today, everything I'm about to share, 
needs to be interpreted and viewed in the light of the crucifixion what Jesus did for you so Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 we are again as I mentioned going through chapter by chapter verse by verse I don't think it's a coincidence it's a God incident that verses 1 and 2 of the book of Romans may be the best verses in the Bible to study how a Christian, and that means you, how a Christ follower goes about finding out what the will of God is. What is the will of God for your life? What is the will of God today? With the world in full panic, with the world at a time, or, or at least our country at a time, which is the most traumatic time since World War II. An extended time of trauma. What is the will of God for your life? What's the will of God for my life? Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 and 17, they say this, See that you walk very carefully. Not as fools, but as wise. And understand what the will of the Lord is. Brothers and sisters, more than as much as any other time in your life, you need to understand what the will of the Lord is in your life. As Ephesians 5.15 says, you need to understand what it means when the Bible says you need to walk carefully. Ephesians 5.15, see that you walk very carefully, it says. Not as fools, but as wise. Understanding what the will of the Lord is. And so we're in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If you, weren't, if you weren't able to be here to listen to the message a few weeks ago, you may want to go back and get the message on the website and listen to it. it said, Paul says, I beg you, I beseech you, I beg you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Meaning, that's just the normal thing for a Christian to do. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Next verse, verse 2. It says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to know, in the United States, in the midst of this crisis that we're in, where the whole country's been brought to a standstill, what is your will, Lord? Please tell us. So, as we discussed, when it comes to determining the will of God, there's really only two kinds of situations. There's one kind of situation where the specific answer is in the Word of God. For, for example, truth-telling. If you're in a situation um, where um, you have to choose between telling the truth and a lie... You don't have to pray one second. You don't have to pray. The Bible says what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to tell the truth. 
There's a handy little verse, actually more than one, but uh, it's Colossians 3, verse 9. It says, do not lie. And so we know the will of God when there, there are specific answers uh, in the Bible. However, what about knowing the will of God when the answer is not specifically in the Bible? Um, for example, we just, uh, this week we have over 50,000 Boston Public School students pouring out onto the streets of Boston, many of them with broken homes, uh, some of them with no homes. Uh, one of them, or more, one or more, you're thinking, should I invite them into my home? What do I do? What is the will of God? You are going to be confronted, Calvary Chapel in the city, so many times, day after day, with these decisions. You better know what the will of God is. Now, I will say there's a backdrop of, to determine the will of God. It's the grace of God. We can get things grace, and there's a safe, rather we can get things wrong when we don't know for certain, and there's a backdrop of grace. But I still maintain, more than any other time, this is an opportunity that you may not get for the rest of your life to shine, as Philippians 2 says, as a star in a dark and twisted generation, a, a, a perverted, Philippians 2 says, which, which means twisted. You have the opportunity to shine. You're not going to be able to shine unless you know the will of God. Not only the word of God, but what, what God is speaking to you. And what did we say just a few weeks ago? You got to be strong. S-T-R-O-N-G. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, uh, answer what this acronym is, as well as um, other verses in the Bible. Again, if you weren't here, I strongly, I plead with you to listen to that sermon from a few weeks ago on Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. But what does the S stand for? A surrendered life. Again, verse 1 says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That means surrender your life to God. The S is a surrender life. T is a transformed mind. Verse 2 says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Strong, the word, uh, the letter R, revelation by the Holy Spirit. And we see throughout the book of Acts that when they didn't know what the word of the Lord was, because it was not specifically in the Bible, the answer, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. Oh, others' opinions, godly people in your life, mature believers, those who are spirit-filled, going to them and asking them. N, as in Nancy, no peace, meaning you've been given a great gift of peace by the Lord. Last instruction that Jesus gave to his disciples before he was arrested was John 16, peace I leave you. Peace I give you. I speak these words to you that you would have peace, he said. Never go against your peace. Doesn't mean that you're not going to have fears and worries and stuff, but I'm talking about the peace that bubbles up from inside of you. No. Surrender life. Transform mind. 
revelation by the Holy Spirit, others opinion, no peace, and then G is God initiated signs. God in his mercy, because we have trouble getting his will sometimes, will give us a pattern. Beware of just a single sign that Bible says the devil masquerades himself as an angel of light. Be careful of that. But God will give a, you a pattern of signs. Yes, this is what you're supposed to do. That's how we determine the will of God. We're strong. So let me continue with that. Let me build on that. Again, Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may know what the perfect will of God is. And again, Ephesians 5, uh, 15 and 17 say, See that you walk very carefully, not as fools, but as wise, understanding what the will of the Lord is. So, I have been uh, traveling the last couple of weeks in the middle of this crisis. And I've been in airports and hearing different people talk on the news and this type of thing. And uh, I keep on hearing something that terrifies me. I hear sentences that begin with, well, when this is all over, we'll do blah, 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 blah. When this is after this, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And then I, see, I hear things like, well, we just got to wait this out. And then this, 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 this. There's a Bible verse that gives us a stark warning that we should never be talking presumptuously like that as Christians. The book of James, James always puts it so direct, says in James chapter 4, verse 13 and 15, he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there. Buy and sell and make a profit. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Listen. Stop talking like the world. Oh, after this, when this finally gets over, I'm going to do this. No, 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 no. Get on your knees and cry out to God and ask him, what is your will, Lord? What is your will? And I can tell you more than anything else, his will is supremely, not only with the body of Christ, but with the whole world. He is, he is in the loudest way possible saying, you guys need to pay attention to me. In the book of Malachi, he declares, I am a great King, it's shameful that God himself has to come and tell us he's a great king. We, he should not have to remind us of that. But he, in his mercy, he loves us so much he does. And the book of Malachi says, I am a great king. And think about it. This is all from his hand. He's getting us attention so we get it. So before we plan next week, even tomorrow, the month, or after this is over. Hold off. It's true. If history dictates, this thing's going to pass. And things will return to relatively normal. If history dictates. I don't know the future. 
But what we're supposed to be doing right now is making sure that we understand who God is. And we understand supremely that with all our financial resources, the United States of America, the gross national product of this country, that is the total values of goods produced and services provided by this country during one year is $19 trillion. Uh, the um, almost limitless supply of natural resources in our country, 43 mil billion barrels of oil. The greatest military on planet Earth. And uh, with a couple buttons, we could destroy the Earth. Uh, pressing a couple buttons. Uh, this one, particularly for us in Boston, the greatest educational institutions that man can, uh, can come up with. <laughs> and many of them, by the way, started, God himself started, but the, the greatest educational institutions in the world, all the world marvels at our universities in this city, Boston. All our understanding of science and technology almost indescribable and yet with a single word what has the Lord done in our midst today he's brought everything to a stand standstill overnight in an hour and a minute he can bring and, and he has brought our city our country the world to a stand uh, still and to a place where he's wanting us to cry out he's wanting you to cry out we are nothing less than nothing before you, O oh God. So don't be like the world saying, oh, and the, you know, I, after this I'm going to go here or there or wherever. Understand what the will of the Lord is. I was with the um, elders of our church uh, this weekend. We had previously pl uh, planned a a prayer retreat for this weekend. Is the Lord awesome or what? He knew it. We planned it in November. Uh, he knew what he was doing. And so um, we did want to separate. Um, we wanted to, to act prudently. And so some of us went up to New Hampshire. Uh, and we were up there in Bethlehem, New Hampshire. Others of us were on here. We're here in Boston. And um, one of the things that we were 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 praying is God we're sorry that this was what it takes we're sorry that this is what it takes Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says that God upholds all things by the word of his power we believe that now right more than we ever have we believe that it's not we don't have I don't have any trouble this morning believing that verse I may have had a little trouble before but now we believe it. He upholds all things by the word of his power. So, again, Ephesians chapter 5. See that you walk very carefully. Not as fools, but as wise. Understanding what the will of the, uh, of the Lord is. Now, um, I have already shared with some of you in a communication uh, some of these things, but... It, it goes right into where we're talking uh, this morning. With fear gripping our city, our country, some of our families, what's the will of God? What is our response? What is your response? Again, we're seeking the Lord just because he's told us we should seek 
to know what his will is. Let me start with what our response should not be. In times like these, where fear is prevailing, you typically see two extreme responses. One extreme response is religious fanaticism. For example, uh, you have pastors manipulating their congregations. If, if you give to our church, um, you will be protected from uh, the coronavirus. Other pastors have scoffed at reasonable precautionary measures. I got one um, text from a pastor saying, in my opinion, this is like the early church when they were prohibited from gathering together they gathered anyway and they were martyred and we should be doing the same thing we should be gathering together and uh, if it means our martyrdom we should do that that's a, just about as foolish as a statement I have heard in my entire life see then that you walk very carefully not as fools so that's one extreme. That's religious fanaticism. Look, don't be surprised when you start hearing craziness. <laughs> Another extreme in a time like this is blind conformity to the world. The world is panicking. It's feeding off of fear. Some Christians have been swept in this, up in this panic. Some of you. Some of you have been swept up in this panic. And you're filled with fear. You've conformed to the world. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed with, with the world. Why have you been conformed? Why are you filled with fear? How were you conformed to the world to the point where you are filled with fear? Because you've been watching the news all day. Let me tell you, the world and the devil would love to feed you all day long with fear. They are more than happy to do that. The devil knows he's, he, has, he has one objective, and that is to cover up as much God-produced glory in the body of Christ that he can do. And if he can keep you in fear, he will keep you from magnifying the name of the Lord. And I, let me just give you a practical suggestion. And somebody can call me legalistic. It's not my intention. But if that's what you feel, that's okay. If you are listening to more than one half hour a day of the news, you're feeding off of the world. That's what you're doing. Right now, I, and I'm not saying you should watch no news. That, that's, an, that's the other extreme. That's the, that's the religious fanaticism. That's removing yourself from the world. We, we need to know what's going on. We need to honor our authorities. We need to know what the, uh, the president is doing and the governor and the mayor and what they want us to do. We need to know. But I'm telling you, if you're feeding off of crazy conspiracy theory YouTube videos, by the way, if I could just get up on a soapbox, do you realize how foolish it is to be buying into uh, conspiracy theories? The Bible says that if there is some conspiracy Guess who's behind it? God's behind it. 
Good. And, and so your complaint is not against some foreign person or government or your complaints with God if there's conspiracy because it's one of the reasons we go through the Old Testament over and over and over again uh, when, God's, when God needs to get the attention of his people he used someone, an enemy or whoever to conspire against the people of God so please don't feed off of fear this is a time, an unprecedented time, where you can be feeding off the Word of God, where you can be joining in our Zoom meetings and Zoom meetings of other churches and, uh, and, and, and sermons and, uh, that are live stream and this type of thing, and you can be strengthened with the Word of God and with the presence of His people. So those are, are the two ways that, you know, we don't want to go in either extreme. We don't want to be like that. The Bible says, put to death the flesh. Your flesh loves the fear. It says in Galatians, he who is in Christ has crucified the flesh. And sometimes we got to do crucify over and over again because our flesh hates faith and it loves fear. Our flesh hates faith and it loves fear. So we've discussed what we should uh, not do. Well, what should we do? What should we do in a time like this? What should our response be to this? Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 says this. Though now you don't see him, speaking of Jesus, and he's, this is speaking to, and he's speaking to you. Though now you do not see Jesus, yet believing you rejoice with joy and expressible and full glory. Now you may say, well, that's really nice for him to say, we're in the middle of the pandemic. Oh, really? They were right in the middle of the people that he was talking to, a persecution where Christians were being slaughtered by the Roman Emperor Nero. Family members hauled off and killed. And yet, he's writing to these people and he's saying, though now you don't see him, yet believing you joyce with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Now what do I do if I don't have that joy? Well, don't panic. Open up your heart and cry out to the Lord. And remind the Lord of His promise because He's promised you joy. He's promised you peace. In John 15 verse 11, Again, right before he was arrested, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And again, as I've already said in John uh, 14, last instructions to the disciples before Jesus was taken away 
um, and, and arrested. The last instructions that he gave them, sorry, not John 14, 33, it's uh, John 16, 33, um, pardon me. He says, these things I have spoken to you. He had been sharing with them for, for hours, the last supper and so forth. He was sharing them, his last words. And how does he sum it all up? He loves you. He says, I've spoken all these things to you that in me you may have peace. He said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, meaning rejoice. I have overcome the world. Remind the Lord of these promises because it's his will for your life for you to be filled with joy in this time and filled with peace. If it doesn't come, keep praying. If it doesn't come, keep praying. If it doesn't come, keep praying. If it doesn't come, go lower. Go from standing to sitting to on your knees to having your face in the rug or the dirt. Cry out to the Lord. He's humbling us in this time. But he's humbling us for his uh, greatest glory and our best good. And so the joy um, of the Lord. What do we do in a time like this? What is the will of God for our lives? Uh, Peter continues. He says he has a great work. Well, what he's going to get into now, the Apostle Peter, Peter, again, written at a great time, a time of full-on crisis, exponentially greater than what we are today. I don't know what's going to happen in the next few weeks, but where they were was infinitely greater than where we were today. First, he starts off with joy, but interestingly, he wants to do a work amongst unbelievers. First Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says, May your behavior be honorable among the Gentiles, meaning the world, that they that though they speak against you as evildoers, that they might may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. The Lord's clearly doing something, Calvary Chapel in the city. And he wants to do a work in this city, in your neighborhood, in your work environment, amongst your friends. He, of this I'm certain, I am absolutely certain, he has chosen you He's chosen you to what the Bible says for a time such as this. The book of Esther, chapter 4, verse 14, where, where the queen Esther had hid the fact that she was um, a Jew. She had been made queen. Her husband didn't know she was Jewish, but then there was an order to kill all the Jews in the empire, and her uncle Mordecai, uh, she, she didn't want to come out and, and protect her people. She was scared to do that. Uh, but her uncle Mordecai came and said to her, hey, listen, if you don't rescue the Jewish people, and God's not small, he's going to raise up someone else. But might it be that he has raised you up for a time such as this? Of this I'm certain, Calvary Chapel in the city, and I'm whatever church that you're going to, he's raised you up. There are no coincidences. He's raised you up for a time such as this. First Peter is just a handbook of what we do. In a time such as this, another thing that he says at First Peter verse one twenty-two, he says, "Love each other fervently." Now that word "fervently" is a word that uh, 
it's a lot of fun and interesting to do a word study in. Uh, it's, it means to, to stretch out in a stretched out way, in a way you've never loved your brethren before, in a way you've never loved your brothers and sisters before. Love them now, he says. Why does he bring it up at a time of suffering? Because that's the first thing to go, love. We start thinking about that unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, in a time of crisis. And he stresses, the whole book, First Peter, is about uh, suffering. And by the way, part of the part of the book he says you're called to this don't complain about the suffering this is what you've been called to you're going to have an eternity with no suffering but you're called to suffering now and 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 he's and peter recognizes uh, he, he he's filled with the holy spirit and he's also a man by this time who has a lot of experience love is often the first thing to go and so he says love each other fervently love each other fervently let me close with this I'm going to close and then we're going to have a time of prayer whether you like it or not Christian when this thing is over and again if history is any indicated, it'll be over and things will go back to normal. How long that's going to be, I don't know. But whether you like it or not, there's going to be a testimony of your life, of what you did and how you behaved during this time. And you'll never be able to get this time back. Some are calling this a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You will have a testimony and once the testimony is written of how you were in this time, you'll never be able to rewrite it. Are you going to be a person who, when people are back talking of you during this time, they'll say, oh yeah, I remember him. There was one concern that he had himself preserving his life. That was it. I remember her. There was one thing that was important to her, herself and her own family. That was it. Him, himself and his own family. Whenever rubber met, met, met the road, it was clear, it was very clear what he valued the most. It was his own life. It was her own life. It was his own family. It was her own family. Is that going to be your testimony? Or is someone going to look back at, at your life and they are going to recount to those who are around them, I remember him. He was a selfless man. What he believes, I, I don't clearly know, but his life was not about himself. Everyone else, it was all about preserving their own life. But him, it was clear that, that he, wanted, he, he wanted to serve people in this time of crisis. He wasn't huddling up in a cave. He was um, out serving people. 
Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 13, again, right before he was arrested, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Are people going to be looking at your life saying, yep, that verse describes that woman. <laughs> Where Jesus said, greater love hath no man uh, than this, than, uh, than a man, woman, laying down his, her life for his, her friends. That's that man. That's that woman. Yes. Calvary Chapel in the city. What testimony is going to be said of your life? It's being written now. At some point, the testimony is going to be finished. And you'll never be able to rewrite it. I say that not to inject fear into anybody. I say that to get you on your knees, to get you strong, a surrendered life, a, tra a, a transformed uh, mind. Revelation by the Holy Spirit, others' opinions, seeking your peace, meaning no peace, God-initiated signs, strong. What's the testimony of your life going to be? I'm going to read now from a publication uh, uh, by Stand to Reason. It's a, a publication of, about the early church. And uh, in, it, it, it's comparing the early church, the ethics, the behavior of the early church to everyone around them. It's, it's uh, interesting um, how we're, we've kind of returned to the same place. It says this, and this is from Stand to Reason. It was common in ancient societies, including Rome, which saw the inception and rise of Christianity, to abandon the sick and the dying. Rome, in Rome, Christians were taught to care for the sick and the helpless in the church. At the time, there was no ethic of caring for the sick or dying. Against this backdrop, Christianity was a distinct contrast. The Bible teaches the intrinsic value of every human being, and this is what motivated early Christians to begin caring for their ailing church leaders following the uh, biblical admonition, admonition to visit the sick. In, third, in the 3rd century AD, an epidemic swept across northern Africa, Italy, and the Western Empire. As many as 5,000 people a day were dying in Rome. The sick were abandoned in the streets. The dead were left unburied. Carthage, now Carthage was, I believe, the second biggest city in the Roman Empire. Carthage, Carthage's bishop, Cyprian, encouraged Christians to care for the sick and the dying in the midst of that. They buried the dead and risked getting sick by taking in the sick. Some of them died. This was repeated other times in the early centuries of the church during epidemics. Christians introduced a new concern and standard of care for sick people. Rodney Stark, author of Rise of Christianity, argues that some of the marked growth of the church in the early centuries can be attributed to the care and compassion that Christians uniquely showed for the sick. Now pause. I'm not suggesting, at least today, that you should go out and seek someone who has coronavirus and care for them. You wouldn't be allowed to do that. 
and and where we are right now that is uh, that's going to do way more harm than good but as i mentioned before 50,000 more than 50,000 public school students are pouring into the streets of Boston this week, many of them from broken families. What are you going to do? When we brought in the new year, I focused on this verse at our crossover service, December 31 and January 1st at midnight. It was Jesus' words. He said, those who, sa those who try to save their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake will gain it. Thousands of international students stranded in Boston. What are you going to do? You're going to leave them alone. Or are you going to minister to them? I had lunch yesterday with Eddie Key. Many of us love Eddie Key. He uh, is up in New Hampshire now. He's a dear friend of ours. Eddie's parents live in Wuhan, China. Yeah. And they've been there for two months locked up and they can't leave their home. That's Wuhan, as you know, many of you know, that's where the virus began. It's, uh, they've, they've shut down the city and his parents have been locked up. And he shared with us that every day, Volunteers, not from the government, not paid volunteers. Volunteers come to, with food, risking their lives to feed Eddie's parents. And immediately what I thought when I heard that, I was filled with shame because the body of Christ in our country is obsessed with, with comfort, with their own health with making sure the right kind of people are led into this country, with, with making sure that their, their retirement is protected, with, with making sure that at all costs, they're safe, they're, and I'm talking about the body of Christ now, that they're safe, that their homes are secure, that their biological children are okay. And a communist volunteer is risking their life to keep Eddie Key's parents alive. God is doing a unique work. He's humbling us, Calvary Chapel. He is humbling us as we've never been humble before. Let us not live as fools. And yes, that includes going out and doing some foolhardy thing. But let's not live as fools by hiding out in our caves, in our protected homes, in, in, in our, our secure homes with our uh, f burglar alarms and, and, and our comfort, uh, comfortable beds and, and just hide out until this thing blows over. That's not the testimony that you want for your life. Calvary Chapel. God says in uh, 1 Peter again, he says, 
live such honorable lives amongst the Gentiles that though they call your deeds evil, that they will glorify God in the day of visitation. And so God is doing a work among us. We're going to close the service in, in a, a rather unusual way. We're going to have prayer at this time. And so I believe the worship team is going to come up and, and do a closing prayer, but for a closing worship song. But uh, we have set up on our home page two things now for prayer. Uh, I will say that, let me say this first. If you are gathered with a group of people, would you please spend extended time in prayer with that group? Would you do that? But we have made two things available. One is a Zoom group prayer where you can join Matt Conan. He's an elder of our church. And uh, you can just join the group and, and, and just pray along with others. Remember to keep your, the, your phone on mute if you join one of these uh, meetings unless you're praying. But if you would like private prayer, if you would like to pray with, alone with a prayer couple in a, in a private setting, we have something unique in it, and I'm so happy that we have it. All you have to do is scroll to the bottom of the page, the home page, and, uh, and there's an email address of the church there. Click on that, email the church, say, I want prayer. They'll send you a link. They're waiting for you. They're waiting for you. I should say Danielle Dehart is waiting for you. And she's manning these emails, and she will immediately return a link to you. Just click it. And you will have a, uh, a couple, a prayer couple, at least one or two people joining you. So you have those two options. Actually, there's three. If, if you're gathered with a group of uh, people, please remember what we've talked about today. This is a time of strengthening where we have greater opportunity for prayer. Please uh, gather in your group and pray now. Um, but if you would like to join a group prayer, you can uh, do that by just going to the home page and you'll see group prayer, uh, uh, which follows the 10.30 a.m. service. You can just uh, click on that and you will be brought into that prayer meeting um, or if you would like individual prayer. If you would like individual prayer, just email us and Danielle will send you a link. But I'm going to close in prayer. Uh, are you guys, is the worship team? The worship team is going to come up and play a closing uh, worship song and we're, we're going to worship. But I'm going to close in prayer at this time. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, thanking you for your word, thanking you for bringing us to this place, this humbling place. Your word says that pride cometh before destruction, but that you exalt the humble. And Lord, I, you, know, you know exactly how much humbling we need. Lord, if there is 
another week of humbling, another month, another year. Your judgments are altogether just, Lord, and righteous. But we do ask for your mercy. Because you're a God of mercy, I ask that you would arrest the spread of this virus, that you would stop it now. Lord, but Lord Jesus, we just commit ourselves to that truth of you, which you told us how to pray. Your will, not ours. Lord, if it if you require a, a, another day, another week, another month, whatever, another year of humbling, Lord, you know what you're doing. We certainly don't. And we bless you and we glorify you in this time and we thank you. God, because we know you are a gracious, loving Father. That picture of the cross is the picture of your love that we can't even put into words. You did it, Lord Jesus, so that we wouldn't have to be there dying. You took the wrath of God on, on, uh, on yourself. You cried out, Oh God, God, my Father, my God, my God, why, uh, why have you forsaken me so that we didn't have to be forsaken? And I prayed in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Give us wisdom to walk and how to walk in this time. Not as fools, but carefully bringing great glory to your name. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.